If you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 13. We're moving right along. And the scene getting wilder. We spent three weeks in chapter 12 studying this dragon. And now the dragon is about to pass off some power to a beast. A beast rising out of the ocean, the sea. At first glance, it sounds like a wild scene. But by the end of this morning, Lord willing, you'll be encouraged. Today's passage is about a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. It does not come more clear than that. If you will look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, before the next section, which we'll study next week, the very last sentence, plain and simple, of verse 10 says, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This this is so much of what the Bible is about. This is so much of what Christianity is about. This is so much about what day-to-day living, day in and day out, is about. Keep trusting the Lord. Don't give up. When I started high school in 1994, I went into the school year thinking that I was going to play basketball in the winter. The coach said to me like the first week, if you're going to play basketball, you're going to run cross country. And so I signed up for cross country as a freshman in high school. I'd never even heard of cross country. We didn't have cross country in elementary school. We didn't have cross country in middle school. I had never heard of it. I didn't even know what it was. And I went to the first practice, and they said, just take off running. And that's all we did was run and run and run. That's the sport. Just run. Today we're running three miles. You need to go there and back. Today we're running five miles. You need to go all the way down to the cornfield, stop sign, and back. I mean, that's what practice was. And there are some people that like it. But there's other people that are doing it just because they're told that they should. They need to get in shape. Somebody's making them. And in the sport of cross country, there are always people that stop and quit, that walk. And you're not supposed to. You're supposed to learn to pace yourself so that you can endure, you can do the whole distance at the best pace you can. That's what the sport is. You're not supposed to run fast and then walk and give up and then drop way back. You're supposed to train so that you can keep going and keep going and keep going. Is it hard? Oh, yes, it's really hard. If you go to any cross-country race, people cross the finish line and fall down. They cross the finish line and they grab their knees. They cross the finish line and they do this number and they're gasping for air. Was it hard? Yes, it was hard. But the goal was to keep going until the end. That's the sport, There's not a lot of strategy in cross country. Don't stop. Don't quit. Keep going. Make it to the finish. That is what I learned as a freshman in high school. And it's been applicable to my life ever since. It's been applicable to my Christian life since then. God today is telling us it's going to be hard. It's going to be ugly at times. The devil and that that he uses is in an all-out attack. Chapter 12 said a war, didn't it? Didn't it say a war? A war. A raging war against believers. And The Bible says here today in verse 10, here is a call. For endurance and faith. That's the message of God for us today. Read with me, if you will, starting in chapter 13. 
And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Church is not a happy-go-lucky gathering on Sunday mornings where we simply pat ourselves on the back and try to get inspired by optimism. It is that, sometimes. It is refreshing and encouraging and uplifting like that most of the time. But church is a gathering of people that believe the word of God, and they gather together to worship God and to study his book. So sometimes, in studying this book of the Word of God, we come to passages like this one, like we've seen quite often in the book of Revelation, and we see that this is a little bit deeper, it's a little more intense than we may have thought how we wanted our Sunday morning to go, but it is the Word of God that God has given to us. It is to be a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And it is to be sweet to us. And it is to be an anchor and foundation to us, as Jesus says. It is to be the solid rock that we build our lives upon. It is to be the answer, the answer to us. So we have a beast rising out of the sea. If you look at the last sentence of chapter 12, the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. There's a connection here. Remember that the end of chapter 11 was the seventh trumpet, the end of the world, the coming of Christ, the return. And then these chapters here, 12, 13, and 14, are just in-depth looks at what's going on in the world leading up to the return of Christ and the end. Chapter 12 ends with the dragon standing on the sand looking at the sea. And the dragon, no question about it, is the devil. If you look back to verse 9 of chapter 12, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. There's no question about who the dragon is. It's the devil. 
And here in this passage, he stands on the sand around the sea, and as he does that, a beast rises out of the sea, and this dragon, the devil, gives his power, gives his authority to, and gives his throne to this beast. So the big question is, what is the beast? To make matters even more curious or fascinating, next week there's another beast. Starts in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. These two beasts are very similar. They go hand in hand. They are two different things, organisms, that are working for and serving the devil. Chapter 13 gives us both of those. If you're super curious to engage or, or to, or to get, uh, try to get at your interest, Next week is where we see the number 666. We'll have to address that next week as we see that coming with the second beast. But that's not for today. Today we're looking at this first beast. What is it? I got three points for you this morning, and it's going to be a lot, so stick with me. Our first point this morning is... And for all the kids that are using the listening page, this is where you fill in your answers. Number one, the devil uses people and systems for his purposes. You got to know that. We have to know this. One of the huge problems that we live with in our world and in our common Christianity is we very, very rarely give credit or, or an eye or respect to the devil, that the devil's working. There's so little of that. In our culture, there's minimal uh, talk or interaction about demons and the demonic and devil and evil. There's so little of it. And yet here in our passage, at the end of the Bible, discussing what's going on at the end of the world for all time, we see so much about what the dragon is doing, making war on believers. And so we are to understand that part of why life is so hard is because the devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy us. He wants to devour believers. Not just us here in this little church, but God's people spread throughout the whole world. He's working in evil, corrupt ways. That's what the devil does. We saw that in chapter 12. Making war. Look at verse 17 of chapter 12. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. If you are holding to the testimony of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that died on the cross for your sins, the Bible is teaching us that the devil, that accusing, deceptive Satan is trying to ruin you. He's making war against you. So life is not some happy medium. It's not something we can coast through. It's an all-out war. And he's very, very deceptive. God describes him as deceptive. The first time we ever saw him, he was the most deceptive of all, sneaking and crafty through the garden. And he got God's first people who didn't even know sin to sin. He got them to doubt God. He got them to listen to him instead of listening to God. He got them to do the very thing that God said, don't do. And he's at war against you. He's at war in your marriage and at war in your parenting. He's at war on your faith. He's at war on your Bible reading. He's at war on your prayer life. He's at war on your heart. And Revelation 13 is wanting us to see that it's even more complicated than that. He uses people. He uses systems for his purposes. Let me show you why we think this. At verse 1, we got the beast. He rises out of the sea. He's got ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems are on the horns, blasphemous names on his heads. He's really bad. Blasphemy are just things that you say about God that are wrong, things that should not be said about God. That's what blasphemy is. A lot of times we use the word blasphemy when somebody talks bad about something else, and that may be a way to use blasphemy. But blasphemy specifically is when something true about God is said the opposite of. 
If somebody says that God's a liar or God's not real or God's not present or God doesn't care or God's not holy or God's not good or God's not there for you, that is blasphemy. Blasphemy, and it should not be said. This beast working for the devil loves blasphemy. He's trying hard to get that going in your life. Verse two describes what he looks like, and this is where it gets really crazy. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. Wow. So what is this? Well, it's not a real animal. It's totally not a real animal. It's so like out of this world. Please don't think this is a real, literal animal. So what is it? Well, a lot of times what happens to believers is that we read this. We've not done really any homework to try to figure out what does that mean. We should have learned a long time ago that the whole New Testament is based off the Old Testament. And in order to really understand the New Testament, you've got to read the Old Testament. And so, if you've not read the Old Testament, but you've read books that some out there people have written about what this is, you're going in the wrong direction. You're trying to understand what this beast is by what some author out in the world is trying to tell you what it is instead of reading what God has written for us to help us with it. If you want to draw real conclusions about what the New Testament is about, study the Old Testament. Before I show you this in Daniel chapter 7, listen to this quote from commentator Wilcock on this very idea. As the indescribable beasts emerge on the scene, one's eyes glisten or else one mind, one's mind boggles according to whether one does or does not have preconceived ideas about the interpretation of these chapters. But what, though, would all this have meant to John's readers? Not to us in 2022, but John writing to the very people he wrote this to 2,000 years ago from the island of Patmos. They, at any rate, did not start with the disadvantage of being unfamiliar with the apocalyptic style, like we are. We know very little of that. And they would not have found the talk of beasts and horns as peculiar as we do. Furthermore, assuming them also to be well taught in their scriptures, we may be sure that their minds would have gone at once to the Old Testament's own great apocalyptic work, the book of Daniel. The most apocalyptic work in the Bible, other than Revelation, is the book of Daniel. And so people that know the Bible, especially people that have studied the Old Testament, or people in John's day that don't have a New Testament, so all that they have is the Old Testament, as soon as they would have heard this in Revelation, they would have went, that's from Daniel. And yet so many people today never do that. You, in the first 10 minutes of my message today, have been thinking other things about what this could be that you've heard on the news or wherever else, and your mind did not go to Daniel. That is a problem. As the be- he, he goes on. As the beast rose from the sea, they would no doubt have said to one another first, it looks like the dragon that we've just been hearing about in chapter 12. But then, it also looks like one of those visions in the book of Daniel. So, turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. you got to turn there, okay? It's going to be hard to listen, so try to find it. If you can't find it, then please listen. All right, Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. 
and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is Jesus. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Listen to this. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints." And prevailed over them. That's the exact language of chapter 13. The exact thing. It makes war on the saints and it wins for a little bit. Verse 22. Until the ancient of days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and shall be given into his hand, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. And I kept the matter in my heart. Trying to understand Revelation 13 without a knowledge of Daniel 7 is futile. It is an unhealthy exercise. The scene is crazy. 
And in our culture, we're not used to this apocalyptic stuff. When we hear about beasts and uh, lions' mouths and bears' feet and all of that stuff, we're like, what? But for them and some people in the world and some cultures, that's normal. In Revelation 13, it doesn't tell us all that we need to know about it, but Daniel 7 does. The beasts in Revelation and Daniel 7 represent kings and their kingdoms in the world. The beasts of Daniel 7, it says, represent kings and their kingdoms in the world. So what we have in Revelation 13 is a big ultimate one representing kings, kingdoms, the state, governments doing evil in the world. That's what the beast is. Let me read to you from a few people. So when we are shown a beast whose power is not that of wealth or influence, but that of government, who combines all the powers of Daniel 7, and whose authority is worldwide, we see in him the principle of power politics. In a word, the state. For John, this meant, of course, the Roman Empire, but every succeeding generation of Christian people knows some equivalent of it. To use a phrase which the authorized version of the Bible has fed into common English usage, the beast from the sea represents the powers that be. Tom Schreiner goes on and writes, the beasts in Daniel represent great empires and a great empire, almost certainly the Roman Empire. And that's what would be in John's mind as well. But the kingdom rising out of the sea is not humane, civil, or supportive of its citizens. Instead, it is like a ravaging and ferocious beast preying on its citizens. The beast is not confined to the Roman Empire in the book of Revelation. It refers to Rome, but it applies to every manifestation of evil in all governments throughout history. You and I must recognize that the dragon of chapter 12 gives his power, his throne, and his authority to people and systems. People and systems don't have to give in to it. They don't have to work for him. They don't have to serve him. Every one of us are to bow our knee to Christ and go out there and honor him in all ways. We are to be truthful in every single way. We are to do the right thing in every single way, and governments and leaders should do that as well. Chapter 13 lets us know that the devil uses people and systems for his purposes. Now, I want to make real clear here today that Revelation 13 does not tell us any specific. You gotta be careful with that. That's what the people that write books do a lot. You gotta be careful with that. Now, clearly, you and I can think of some systems in the world that are anti God, and they say that directly. And that's always been the case since this time. But Revelation 13 doesn't tell us specifically, oh, this is talking about that leader, this is talking about that nation, or this is talking about that power. But it is letting us know for sure that the beast that is so much like the dragon, the beast that has the authority, power, and throne of the devil represents kings and kingdoms. This morning I prayed for the missionaries that we know and are connected with. And by God's grace, many of them are in some good places. They don't live with too much fear. But you and I know, and we know people, in the conversation of missions or global work for God, of places, countries, nations, where it is not legal or allowed or good to be a Christian. We know of places right now where you will be killed if you become a Christian. We know of places right now where you will be arrested and rejected if you have a Bible. Many places in the world, the state says it is illegal to possess anything representing God and Jesus and his word. 
There are places in the world right now where you're not allowed to have internet so that you cannot access things of God. There are places in the world right now where it is illegal to watch videos on YouTube about Christianity. Recently, here in Fairdale, I got to meet with some guys and spend time with them talking. They're refugees here, and they are working on doing ministry to people spread all over the world. Because of the internet and because of video calls and chats and texting and all of that, the world can be reached very easily. Back during our vacation Bible school, we got to go over here in a room and shut the door and just pull out an iPad and click one button and we connected with the missionaries in Ecuador and Camp Chicalco, and they had the whole staff together. And we did a video call where they talked to us and we talked to them. They saw us and we saw them. The internet allows this. Well, I met with some guys last week who are doing that type of work to people all over the place. But it's challenging. Here's what they said they have to do. Through a text... They find people that are interested. They text them an app to download. They download the app. From the app, they can connect better. They send them a Bible passage through the app. They connect on when they're gonna be able to do a video call. They get in the video call. They've got the Bible there on their device. These people here have the Bible, and they start doing a Bible study. When the Bible study ends, they delete the app, They delete the conversation, they delete all the text thread, they delete it all, and they go on with their lives. Because if they were to be caught even having an app with the Bible on it, they would be captured, they'd be put in prison, and they would be killed. There are places all over the world where authorities are doing that type of stuff against God. If you read the Bible, you need to remember that this is true stuff. The Bible is real history. And so when you read the Old Testament of people faithful to God who are just praying, being burned in a fiery furnace because they did not worship what they were told to worship, This is an example of an overreach, of an authority, of an institution, of a king and a kingdom and a government of authorities going against God. Did they say they were of the devil? No, not at all. That's where we're reminded that the devil is deceitful, crafty, sneaky, smart, working. It's not obvious you know, there are some people out there that say they're Satan worshipers or whatever. They got no influence. That's like the smallest club around. Like, nobody's involved with that. But what's less obvious is that the devil is using people and systems in all sorts of ways to get us away from God, to get us focused on anything other than God. Shriner writes, all totalitarian governments arrogating themselves divine authority reveal that they too are the beast of Revelation 13. Number one, the devil uses people and systems for his purposes. The beast rising out of the sea represents the state the government, the kings and kingdoms and leaders that are being used by the devil. Number two, the devil often tries to mimic God. We've seen this now several times in Revelation. It was Jake Beatty that made this point really strongly that day when he preached several weeks ago. The devil often tries to mimic God. When we read Revelation 13 and we see that the dragon passes off this power and authority to the beast, we see that the beast looks in a lot of ways like Christ, our Savior in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, where we hear of uh, Jesus being the lamb, listen to this. 
And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. You remember that, right, from Revelation 5? Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Look how he's described in verse 6. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Horns, eyes. Well, are we talking about the beast or are we talking about the lamb? They look very similar, don't they? If you don't know anything about the Bible and you just pick up the book of Revelation and somebody just says, man, there's this wild scene. It's got horns and it's got eyes and it's got all that. You're thinking, well, it's got all these heads. It's got these horns. Like, which is it? Well, are you talking about Jesus, the lamb that was slain? Or are you talking about the beast rising out of the sea? They look very similar. That was chapter 5. If you turn over to chapter 19, Revelation 19, verse 12 says this. Then I saw heaven open to behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes wars. This is Jesus returning. Verse 12 says his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. The beast is described as that. The beast is described as having the diadems in Revelation 13. He mimics Christ. What happens with these organizations, these leaders, these kings, these kingdoms, these governments, is they say a lot of good things. They do a lot of good. They make you think that they're working for you. The devil is working in that. There's a mimic there in which it's trying to make you think that he is good for you. This is the strategy of the crafty one, that ancient serpent, the devil and Satan, the deceiver. This is what he does. Later in chapter 13, we see this weird scene, verse 3. One of its heads, just one of its heads, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. One commentator writes, the so-called death blow is ineffective. In response, the world is astonished with the beast and gives its allegiance to him. For the revival of a demonic empire is a kind of resurrection. And so once again, the beast parodies the Christ. This scene shows us that the, that the beast has a wound on its head that you thought was going to kill it. But it doesn't. It keeps going. And what have we had throughout all time? Crooked, not trusting leaders, power and authority. The devil often tries to mimic Christ. And what we see in verse 4, they worshiped the dragon. So, in being in all of the beasts, they were worshiping the dragon. But they didn't even know that they were worshiping the dragon. Look what it says they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. They literally said, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? It's too big, it's too strong. We can't, we can't live without it. It's just a constant in our lives, and we can't get away from it. And this thing has so much of an influence over us that we just submit to it and show allegiance to it and give to it. And in doing that, we're worshiping the dragon, it says in verse 4. It reminds me of how often people are deceived into thinking that something is good for them that's really not good for them. This happens all the time with jobs and directions and relationships, this happens all the times in leaders and advice and instruction. We thought it was going to be good for us. We moved there because we thought that was going to be good for us, and boy, that was not the right thing. Or we took this job because we thought it was going to be good for us, and boy, that turned out to not be good. We started dating that person or getting involved with that person because we thought it was going to be good for us. And so it is with all the things that the devil does. He doesn't come at you saying, hey, if you're wanting to ruin your life, come with me. It's not what the devil does. Hey, if you want to be smart and know more about what's good and evil in the world, I, I've got an apple over here. and Everybody loves fruit. The doctor says an apple a day, right? Just eat some fruit and you'll, you'll be smarter. 
And really, you're going to die. That's what Satan did the first time. And that's what Satan does now. He does seemingly good things that blind people buy into, commit to, get involved with, put more devotion to. Next thing you know, they're caught up in lives that are being influenced by the dragon, the devil. Number one, the devil uses people and systems for his purposes. Number two, the devil often tries to mimic God. So you and I must be people that can recognize in my life today, the devil's trying to tear me up. The devil wants to ruin your life and ruin this church and ruin our town and our city and our country and our world. He wants to. It says it here over and over again. And God told us that he wants to. That's what he's doing. And so you and I must wake up. We must open our eyes. We must be alert. We must be on our toes. We must lean in, lean forward and think, man, the devil is not going to get me. i got to focus. I've got to be ready. I've got to be sharp. I've got to pay attention. Well, how do we do that? So the final point today and the end of our passage is believers are called. Sorry, for the kids listening page. Believers must endure faithfully worshiping God. Believers must endure faithfully worshiping God. Believers are called to look to Jesus more than they look at anything else. Believers are called to bow their knee to God alone and do not bow your knee to anything else. Believers are called to love the one that loves them more than anything else and do not allow yourself to get caught loving something more than God. Believers are called to give all of their allegiance, and all of their devotion, and all of their surrender to God. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. It is not complicated. There is no secret strategy. We look to Jesus. We surrender to him. We trust him. We believe him. That's what we do. And we do that fully aware, walking scared, that it might get ugly and messy. Look what happens there in verse 8. Sorry, verse 7. He was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. It is God giving that allowance. This is the way the world plays out. God allows him, like we see God often allowing Satan, to do some things. He has authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And everybody in the world worships him according to verse 8, except there is no neutral. There is no neutral. Everybody in the world worships him, according to verse 8, except those whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The Bible tells us in many, many passages that God has a book in heaven with the names of his children and the names of his believers. And the believers and the children of God are specifically those who are trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation because his death on the cross spilt his holy blood for the sins of the world. And salvation is found only in a faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a book in heaven that has all the names of the people that trust in Christ according to his blood shed on the cross. For the people that are really saved, they will not worship this dragon. They will not worship this beast. They will not bow down. Well, what if it gets mean and ugly? They will not. They're willing to die, and we've seen it throughout all of Revelation. It even goes there here. Look at verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. That's why we're here on a Sunday morning. Not so somebody will pat us on the back and we'll smile whoever serves us lunch today. That's not our Christianity. That ought to be your humanity, that you're not going to be rude whether you're a believer or not. Our Christianity says that the devil's trying to kill us, and if he does, we're here for it. 
because God told us that might happen. Our Christianity is that the devil wants to ruin my marriage, ruin my parenting, ruin our church, ruin this town, ruin everything. And we're not going to give in to it because Christ's way is the way. The way, the truth, and the life. The straight and narrow, good and pleasing to the Lord. And when he saved us, he gave us hearts that desire that. And he put us on that path. And we will not stray away from it, no matter what it costs. Friendship, family, anything. That's what this is about. Look at verse 9. If you have an ear to hear it, hear it. If it takes some being captive, they will be taken captive. If it takes some being slain by the sword, they will be slain by the sword. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about his believers whose names are in the book of life, who love Jesus, that will not give in. Do you remember when they were told to bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar? Or you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. You'll be burnt up like that. Do you remember what they said? If you throw us in the fiery furnace... Our God is able to save us out of the fiery furnace. He can make it where we don't get burned. He can make it where you can't throw us in there. He can make it where you can't hurt us, you can't touch us. But even if he don't, that's what he said. Even if he don't, we ain't worshiping that. Even if he, don't, even if he doesn't, we're not worshiping you. You remember when they told Daniel that if you pray anymore to your God, the peaceful, humble, go into your room and close the door, nobody knows, nobody in the world is affected by the prayers of believers, like outwardly, nobody is. Our prayers aren't hurting anybody. And if you pray anymore to your God, we're gonna throw you in the lions. What'd Daniel do? He went and prayed. Well, I'm in a day on earth. I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. What am I gonna do about this? Might be my last day on earth. They're going to throw me to the lions. So what do I do? Pray to God. Stay faithful. Got no other option. And that's what he did. And they threw him with the lions. And they didn't kill him. Here is a call to the endurance and faith of the saints. Believers will endure. We have God's promises we have God's promises that he will keep us. If we give in to this beast, if we follow his ways, if we abandon God's ways, if we abandon our Savior, if we abandon the truth, it's a sign that we do not belong to the one true God. Our salvation is not based on us holding on to him. Our salvation is based off him holding on to us. We don't love God because of our love. We love God because he first loved us. The strength to follow God doesn't come from us. It comes from him. Remember in the last chapter, as the dragon was set to devour, the woman was given the wings to fly away on? Our salvation is based on what God is doing in us. They can't stop that. They can't kill us. And if they do, they can't kill our souls. Revelation 13 doesn't hold back in telling us that it may come to that. And by God's grace, and we are thankfully, in our culture, in our world, we don't know a whole lot of that. And I think that we're thankful for that. It's made us a little bit soft, but we're thankful for that. But there are people in the world right now where this is the realest passage. We read Revelation 13 and the call to faith and endurance because the devil's going to kill us. Hey, if, it's, if it meant to be slain, it's meant to be slain. And we're like, yeah, what? Maybe, man, I sure hope it don't come to that. I hate to think of my kids growing up in a world that's like that. And that's the way I think and that's the way I feel. But there are people for the last 2,000 years been reading Revelation 13 going, that's it, but I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in. Jesus can't get on the cross for my life. And he rose again to say, the devil can't get me. The beast can't get me. And I'll hold on to him forever. And in holding on to him forever, you get forever. You get eternal life. Wilcock writes, all whose hope is not ultimately in the blood of the lamb have no hope except in a human system to which either expressly or by implication they give the blasphemous name of God. Notice that he says there, expressly or by implication, they give the blasphemous name of God. Yes, even here in the residually Christian West, where it is the value and goodness of the human spirit rather than the one that created it, which is worshipped, trusted, and adored. 
just because somebody says that Jesus is their Lord and Savior doesn't mean that he is. When Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your entire life is bowed to him. His word is your God. His strength is your strength. His purpose is your purpose. Psalm 20 says, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We can't get distracted. We can't put our hope in anything else. The world is searching for answers, searching for goodness, searching for something that will help and will fix and make it all better. And the Bible seems to be saying now, week after week, it may not get better, but forever is real. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And the king of the kingdom has you in his salvation. Trust him. The passage that Matt McBroom read earlier has the word endurance in it, right? Let us run the race with endurance. You know how it's said to do it, Romans 12, 1 and 2? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Look to him. If you're here today and you don't know what your salvation's in, a system, a person, a place, a thing, turn from it. Turn to Jesus. Look to him, surrender to him, believe in him, and in trusting in him, may your devotion be to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage on the beast. Scary and ugly and powerful and authoritative. And very influential over so many. Everyone on earth will worship it except those whose names are written in your book. Father, we thank you for the security that there is in Christ. We know you're faithful and loyal. We ask that your power would make us faithful and loyal. God, give us wisdom and discernment to know the difference of what is truly good. Father, give us real faith that makes us devoted to the truth so that we don't coast, coast toward the ways of the world. Give us a devotion. Give us a loyalty. Give us an allegiance that says we follow Jesus. Father, work that in our church family now.